This week on The Meg Rock Show, I was able to sit down with Samke Thlongo. Samke is originally from South Africa. She is now living in the United States. She is starting a new life here after being stripped of her home, her car, and her children when going through a divorce. She has written a book titled Ring Fence, where she talks about the mother wound and the traumas that have been passed down through generations by mothers to their daughters because these wounds have not been healed. She talks about domestic violence. In this book, she helps women create habits that they will need to ring fence and protect themselves. She teaches about the financial mistakes to avoid as women, and she talks so much about the empowerment that she wants to provide for women so that no matter what they are facing in their life, they can come out of it stronger than ever. You're going to love this podcast episode and be totally inspired by Samke and her story. Welcome to the Meg Rock Show with Manifesting Marge, enlightening you with high vibe spiritual guidance, interviews with high vibe people, and those who practice different healing modalities around the world. I help women manifest more love, more self-love, more money, better health, and clarity on their life path. My purpose is to help you remember who the you are. Let's rock this out. Welcome, Samke. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much, Meg, and thank you so much for having me on this, my very first U.S. podcast interview. So this is a major milestone for me. Yes, that is so exciting. Well, I have heard so many wonderful things about you. And I always like to start with everyone's story because we all have a story and we all have things that we've been through in our life that have made have given us hard days and hard times. And to see people overcome those things is one of the reasons that I started this podcast because we all have a story. So let's start with your story. Um, I know there was a lot of heartache, but it led you to where you are now, which is which is amazing. Absolutely. Thank you again. In telling the story, I think I'd like to preface the conversation by saying that there are many stories within the story, right, of life. And today, I guess I'll focus on the one that directly links to me being in the US right now. And that is the story of releasing my book titled Ring Fence. But the events that led me to releasing my book, actually leaving South Africa and exploring new grounds. Basically, where that story begins is at university, the University of Cape Town, between between a boy and a girl, they fall in love. You know, I was kind of naughty back in the day. So fast forward a couple of months and I'm pregnant with my baby girl. My ex-husband and I have been dating for a while and we're like, you know what, let's do this. And so we decide to get married. And at the time, I'm 21. He's uh, 24 when we actually have our wedding. Basically, you know, we start out life and I'm like, this is what I've always wanted. I've always wanted a nuclear family with a mom and a dad, and I'm going to make sure I give that to my daughter and my children. So upon reflection, I realized that that decision wasn't made on the information or the situation at hand, but rather that decision was made because of my own unmet needs, my inner child's unmet needs. Anyway, so there's certain alarm bells that are ringing and certain signals that are saying, you know, 
can you two really make it for the rest of your life? But I'm ignoring those because the inner child is saying, finally, yes, I've got the picture that I've always wanted. The mom, the dad, the child in one image. I finally belong. My life is finally complete. Well, as we know, in life and in marriage, there are always curveballs. There are always surprises. My marriage wasn't the easiest. And of course, at the benefit of hindsight, I also know how I upset the apple cart and how I changed the terms and conditions. Because when I was when I got married, I had recently lost my father and I was a daddy's girl. So having lost my dad really left me lost. I was very needy at the time. I wasn't assertive. I didn't have my own voice. And I really just, you know, whatever my ex wanted to do or my then husband wanted to do, I was like, as long as I'm being spoiled, I've got the big house, I've got the big car, I'm going on international trips, I'm happy. You know, who cares uh, what in who our homeowner's insurance is with. What does that even matter? We've got a home. That's more than good enough for me. And so as I finished university and started working, I later joined a bank, a private bank. And we basically, well, that bank basically banks the top kind of 1% of, of the continent. And I then see the other side of this kind of aspiration of marrying rich and having a big house and having a lavish lifestyle where things don't work out. And I'd have, you know, women crying at the office saying, I don't even know how anything works. I don't even know how to set up my cable TV. I've had to phone people to install the cable TV. I've had to phone people to install the washing machine and and show me how it works because now my helper that used to live in the house with us or even my staff complement is no longer around. I can only have them once a week. I don't know how anything works. And I used to think to myself, goodness gracious, I hope that's never me. Well, as Murphy's Law would have it, I found myself in that position where I'm going through a divorce. And even though I know the theory of finance and I know how a home loan works, how a vehicle financing works, I didn't understand the emotional inputs that go into making tough financial decisions. And so I found myself falling deeper and deeper into debt. I wasn't able to um, stand up on my own. I was relying heavily on my alimony. And in those months where that alimony wasn't being paid on time, I mean, there were days I couldn't even afford to buy food. And I was like, how am I a banking professional with finance degrees, more than one, not able to even make it to month end? And so understanding the inputs that emotions and stress and our own, I guess, fears and limitations has on finance and our ability to be financially independent and even create wealth. I started blogging that grew into media appearances that grew into my own consultancy and that eventually grew into the book titled Ring Fence, which is a call to action for women to actually ring fence, i.e. create a barrier to protect their financial well-being. But that came at a very high price. Initially, the original manuscript was actually blocked by my ex-husband and his legal team. It couldn't be printed. <laughs> I thought I was going to like be sued for everything. I was crying every day. I was panicked and had to go back to the drawing board where I actually printed the whole manuscript, all 395 pages, took scissors, cut them out, and tried to rearrange them into four separate cal- characters. I was on the floor with each character's name, breaking up the story from one character and three supporting characters to four main characters. So Ring Fence, as you see today, is basically 
not only my life inspired by my life's events, but not everything in the book is what happened to me, but taking from other women whose stories also couldn't be told. So basically you could say that yes, Ring Fence is a fictional story, but it's the fictionalized account of those memoirs that can never be told. Uh, the book came out, but uh, there's, there's a warning that came with the book to say, listen, we will be monitoring your marketing and advertising activities. And if at any stage you say this book is my life, <laughs> we'll see you in court. <laughs> so I'm not saying it's my life because it's not my life, but I'm saying these things happen. And so you want to do yourself a favor and get a copy. But how do I land up in the US? A couple of months after I've released the book, I'm sitting in South Africa. I'm comfortable. I've got my dog. I've got a new car. I'm, you know, thinking, okay, it's time to market and promote this book. But I'm, I'm scared to because of obviously, you know, this lingering caution. And I then start just getting this voice saying it's time to go. I'm like, what do you mean it's time to go? There's just this voice every morning. It's time to go. And um, I ignore it and I try and fill my life with, with things that will make the uncomfortable comfortable. You know, when we ignore the voice of the universe, we're like, no, I don't want to do that. Let me ignore it. It'll go away. And things start drying up. Revenues start drying up. Bookings start drying up. Eventually, the one thing that said to me, it's time to go, is me actually losing primary residence of my kids. So when I got divorced, I mean, I lost my home, my car, monies, people know the story. The kids was all I had left. And when I lost that, my ex-husband now has primary residence of the kids. I thought to myself, well, I could see this as the end of my life, or I could see it as the beginning of the grandest vision I've ever had for my life. So I was like, okay, Samke, it's time to go. Where have you always wanted to go? And I'm like, New York City. Let's go spend a couple of months in New York and figure ourselves out. And all my friends who are immigrants are like, are you smoking your socks? You will last one week and be broke. So one of my friends was like, come to Atlanta. You've got this book that you've got this dream of turning into a movie, into a series. Atlanta's Black Hollywood. Come stay here with me as long as you need and figure yourself out. And that is how I'm in Atlanta. That is how I met the person that connected us. And that is how I'm on this podcast today, on this journey of discovery and just listening to the universe. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Okay, so your husband, your ex-husband, sounds like he is a powerful person in South Africa. How did he end up with the children just because how powerful he is? No, it would be unfair to say that. How he landed up with the children is that over the, we've been divorced for, or let me say we've been separated now for s- nearly seven years. Uh, the divorce took two years anyway to process. So we've been divorced legally for about five years. Um, but in that time, he has we had shared custody. So at the time, the kids were three and eight. We had shared custody. And this notion that moms get the kids needs to be dispelled because I thought from watching a whole lot of American movies. So I've got a bone to pick with you guys, actually. I thought, okay, I'll just be left with the houses, the cars, the kids, and I'll just, you know, roll in the second husband and life will be happily ever after. It didn't work out that way. (laughs) Um, And so when engaging with my lawyer, she said, look, if the um, other parent is active and involved in the children's lives, the courts actually want the children to have both 
parents present in their lives. And so we were given shared custody, but he kept trying for sole custody and for sole residence. So in January, we got COVID, right? The kids and I, and he made a court application. Well, uh, uh, through his lawyer, he sent my lawyer a letter saying, this proves that she's an, a, a reckless mother, negligent mother, because the kids got COVID. And on Christmas Day, she hosted her family for Christmas and they weren't socially distanced. Mind you, none of the people, like none of the other people that were there at Christmas got COVID, tested positive for COVID. Then he said on New Year's Eve, they were engaging in, de- she was engaging in debaucherous behavior. I still have my posts up from New Year's Eve. I was wearing a black ball gown and I was having champagne and I jumped in the pool at midnight in my ball gown just to celebrate be free, you know, it's a ball gun, it's a pool, get over it. And he was actually was engaging in debaucherous behavior. And that is why um, the kids got COVID. Again, only one other person, only two other people from that celebration got COVID. And it was a celebration with 10 family and friends. So we could have got it from the groceries, from anywhere, but he used that. And then the lawyers said, because the kids are now of the age where they can actually speak their mind and say where they want to live, the voice of the child or the children be taken into account. So when asked, would you rather live at mom's dad or dad's house? They both said at dad's house, um, dad understandably has way bigger house, fancy cars, beautiful lifestyle, et cetera. And dad has a wife. They've got a, they are complete that side at dad's house. He's, he's remarried. I haven't even managed to keep a relationship going for more than a couple of months (laughs) since my divorce. And my son always says, mom, when are we getting a dad at mom's house? We have a mom at dad's house. Um, So they listened to the children, but also he was able to, I guess, influence the kind of lifestyle he can give them. And, um, and, and not to take away from him as a parent, I always say this, he's an absolutely fantastic father. I've never disputed that, but as a husband, completely different um, consideration for me anyway. And that is something that I always teach women. Just because someone is a fantastic father, don't think that they'll, they will uh, it, uh, show the same care or duty or be the same person in their role as a husband. So see the person for what they are in what you need them to be. For sure. For sure. Okay. Well, let's talk about, um, let's talk about the five, the top financial mistakes to avoid as a woman. So when you found yourself divorced and you're having to learn to manage your finances and all of the bills and the things that come along with being single, right? Having, having lots of responsibility that you weren't necessarily used to. What was the first thing that you did that you were like, Oh my gosh, like this is where I've got to start. This is how I'm going to get my life in order. And then you figured out those five things. Well, those five things um, that I'll narrow down for you are basically over time and learning from my mistakes. Number one, trying to hold on to a lifestyle that you can no longer hold on to. So I tried for so long to give my kids the lifestyle they were used to. They're used to a double-story home with a pool. They've got drivers taking them to school. They go to every kid's party and bring expensive gifts, you know. So I wanted to maintain that for them. And um, when speaking to my psychologist, she said, Sam, understand that all children need from a mother is love. So you are trying to give them all these things you think they want. And to be honest, there'll be times that they're like, I want to go to dad's house because my Wii is at dad's house or my PlayStation 5. And you're like, "Eh, all I have is a pack of cards. Can we play cards? So it does play on your emotions. But, you know, you need to know that you too, as a mom, deserve to have 
peace of mind when it comes to your finances and what you can and can't do. You do not have to set yourself on fire to keep others warm, including your children. So if something is outside of your affordability, be comfortable enough to know it makes you no less of a good parent to say, I can't afford it. I can't do it. Right. So don't try to hold on to a lifestyle you can't afford. Excuse me. Number two, don't try and build up debt to try and afford that lifestyle and maintain that lifestyle. Luckily for me, um, I didn't actually go into additional debt for my um, while going through my divorce, but I did kind of pinch myself or my lifestyle to try and make sure that when the kids were around, those two weeks they were around, that I was giving them the lifestyle they were used to. So they'd be nice. I was eating peanut butter and jam. You guys call it jelly here sandwiches for supper because I'm like, as long as it's food when the kids are around and my whole lifestyle just didn't make sense, didn't balance. Number three, don't be afraid to change jobs to get the earnings you now need as a single parent. Okay. So single parent, I use that carefully. Yes, there are two parents parenting these children, you know, if you're lucky enough to still have an active uh, co-parent, but as the single income earner of that household, so don't try, don't be afraid of changing jobs. We tend to think there's already so much going on. Let me hold on to what I have. You need to be practical and pragmatic. And if you now know that actually this is the amount I need to be comfortable in this, in this new reality, then start making those steps and walking towards that new goal. Number four, mistake to avoid. Don't try and replace your husband <laughs> before actually doing the right due diligence on the person. And I speak from experience. I was entering into these very unhealthy relationships and situationships because I was just so tired of carrying the load alone. And all you're doing is you're kicking the can down the road in terms of your own healing process, but also you're adding to the healing you're going to have to do by just jumping into these relationships and, and even attracting the very same man because you haven't dealt with the traumas and the biases, the prejudices, the the habits that landed you in the relationship, that unfulfilling relationship you were in to begin with. So don't jump into the next relationship for economic benefit. Of course, there's a psychological, the physical, but, you know, for economic benefit as well, or just to have someone to share the load with. You're only postponing the pain. You're going to have to deal with it and clean it up and start at some stage. And number five, take, don't, um, don't postpone taking control of your finances. So we tend to ignore things. I did that. I was just like, oh, it'll be better next month, or it'll be better once I I get another salary increase or a bonus. But I didn't look at my reality at the time and say, this is where I am realistically. I'm running out of shortfall every month. I'm borrowing from Anne to pay Jane, and it doesn't make sense. So don't postpone taking control. The sooner you take control, the sooner you can diagnose the problem, the sooner you can address it, and the sooner you can have financial freedom. Okay, so what would you say the non-financial factors that impact women's financial well-being are? Oh, number one, confidence. And I mean, this is based on global studies. Women don't have the confidence 
to actually make financial decisions for themselves. They say, oh, I will buy a house once I get married. Or, oh, I'll start um, looking into investments once I've got my family set up. Or, oh, you know, we postpone because we don't have the confidence. Then, then once we get into that marriage, it's kind of, oh, my husband knows those things or my husband does those things, especially where there's a big income gap between uh, in, in earnings between the man and the woman. Um, and so we tend to see that the confidence is actually, because we don't have the confidence going in, we then fall far behind the ability to manage finances because we, we stay away from those conversations we should be having. So have the confidence to ask questions, have the confidence to say, I don't understand, have the confidence to say, please explain to me in a way until I understand and have the confidence to say, yes, this home is beautiful, but what are the mechanics? Can I see the bond statements, Where the mortgage statements? How is this financed? Have the confidence to say, oh my gosh, I love this beautiful new sports car you got for me as a gift, but can I understand what is the process? of buying a car. How do you know you got a good deal? What do you mean when you say you got a good deal? So number one, it's confidence. Number two, I would say it's just this kind of um, unhealthy optimism. We've got this unhealthy optimism that things will always work out because, you know, especially if you grew up being mollycoddled, if you grew up being protected, and if you grew up just believing as long as I'm a good mom or a good wife, those things will take care of themselves. And so we spend more time trying, and and this is then what fosters um, abusive relationships, where we spend more time trying to be good, trying to not upset um, the equilibrium, trying to just, oh, if only I hadn't said that, it wouldn't have upset upset him if only I behave better instead of saying no I should speak out no I should ask questions and so we have this optimism that okay let me just put my head in the sand and things will work themselves out which is not okay and only serves to delay and postpone um, problems as I've mentioned and number three um, this irrational fear of how society will judge us And this plays out not only in our household finances, but in our careers as well. So we tend to be apologetic for certain things. I'll make an example. If you're sitting in a meeting and you have a question and you preface your question with something like, oh, um, I don't mean to disturb, but I just wanted to ask, or I just had a thought. We kneecap our thoughts. We kneecap how we appear because we have this, this idea or this fear that society expects us to be a certain way. And whenever we have these feelings that go against what we believe society wants us to be, then we kind of want to apologize for what we're feeling and want to apologize for wanting to ask questions or show up as our true authentic selves. And so even though these are kind of psychological considerations, they have a direct impact on even how fast your career can grow, your income generating ability. And so It's something we need to look at. Number four, poor negotiation skills. Global studies have shown that even though there's a gender income gap, i.e. a difference between how much um, women earn in, in relation to men, there's now also a gender wealth gap. So the cumulative difference, even in those instances where men and women earn the same. So you may find that you've got a man and a woman that earn the same, but I'm paying more for my vehicle debt because I don't know how to negotiate with the salesperson. I don't know how to negotiate interest rate with the bank. Um, I don't know how to negotiate when buying a home. So you find that women actually pay more for their lives 
we have a higher cost of living relative to men because we've got poorer negotiation skills. Also, when it comes to our savings and investments, we are risk averse. So we don't negotiate for better terms, for better fee structures. We don't negotiate for higher salaries. We kind of let our work speak for itself. And that is not, um, that's proven untrue. We need to uh, get those promotions before we're ready. We need to put our hand up and take those opportunities before we're ready. And then finally, 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 I would say the non-financial, the biggest non-financial mistake women make is that we don't actually believe we are going to create wealth in our lifetime. That is why when it comes to marriage negotiations and contracts, it's kind of like, oh, he wanted a prenup or, oh, um, he wanted us to get married in community of property, but we don't go in thinking, hang on a minute, what if I'm the one that becomes rich, right? And so in our decision-making, we don't make that our decisions and our day-to-day lifestyle decisions thinking, what if I'm actually the one that's going to be the one to make multi, multi, multi millions or even billions of rands and dollars. And so that is something that then manifests itself itself in us not behaving as beings and individuals that are going to make this infinite abundance of, of wealth. And so that can also then end up where we end up losing out on opportunities, not making as smart decisions right in terms of from our day-to-day living and also the longer-term decisions that we make. So powerful. Oh my gosh. So powerful. So your <laughs> novel, the novel that you wrote is called ring fence. So yes. what are the, what would you say the five habits of women, um, the five habits that women would need to ring fence themselves? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, if you're going to ring fence yourself again, number one, the, the, the habit you need to wake up with, and this ties in, I know you're very big on energy and you're very big on kind of the, the non-physical, right? I would say, number one, you need to be intentional day to day from every morning about your habits, about your day, about your life, okay? So I wake up every morning and I look at my annual goals and I then compare my day's to-do list with my annual goals. Everything I do on every single day, is it taking me towards my annual goals or away from? So am I responding to life or am I dictating life? Is life going to happen to me or am I going to set out what my life looks out like? So number one habit of the ring fence woman is intention. Because the minute you can be intentional, you're actually in control of your life. And if you're in control from the bigger picture, you'll be able to let that translate into your day-to-day habits, okay? And it'll give you the confidence to say, hang on a minute, that doesn't align with my goals. Can I ask why we're doing that? Can I ask, is there a better way we can do that? And so you're also building confidence in a non-confrontational way and in a way where you know where it fits into your life. So number one, being intentional, okay? Number two habit of the ring-fenced woman, I would say, is to try do one thing that scares you every day. So again, with my to-do list, I start with what I call my storms. So I've got the everyday to-do list. Then I've got the things that are uncomfortable or I'd rather not look at. And I call them my storms. And I don't know what uh, religious background the listeners are from, but I'm Christian, even though I'm open to, you know, lessons from all religions. But there's a verse that talks about how eagles actually fly into the storm and get their rest in the storm. So I start my day by flying 
into the storm, not running away from it. So I have those uncomfortable conversations. I send those uncomfortable emails. And I found that the more I do it, the easier it becomes every day. So now I'm emailing lawyers like I'm emailing my friends. Hey, Figile, please find the addendum and my com- com- comments attached. It's an easy thing. Whereas before I see an email uh, an email from an attorney and I'm like, oh God, why me? Um, now I'm calling on my ancestors chanting, mm. <laughs> When all I need to do is actually understand I already have what it takes to face the storms that are presented to me. And by shying away, I actually give away my power. Remember, power can never be taken. It can only be given. I give away my power by running away from the storm instead of into the storm. So the ring-fenced woman, she 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 is intentional, but also she runs to in, into the storm. She faces her storms every day. And then number three, I would have to say... Um, The ring-fenced woman definitely sees herself as uh, integral. I'm trying to pronounce integral. Let me say inherently. So number three, the ring-fenced woman sees herself as inherently valuable. So the world today teaches us that our value is linked to the size of our bank balance or balance sheet. And this is not true. Okay. And in fact, it is in those moments where life is happening, where perhaps you're sitting in those broke moments uh, where you can actually worsen your situation by not seeing yourself as valuable. So I always tell people, even sitting on the bus, there'll be a certain way I carry myself and there'll be a certain way I expect to be addressed. Okay. So it's got nothing to do with my bank balance. I deserve respect simply because I deserve respect as a human being, but that comes with the responsibility of also giving respect. So no matter what is happening with my finances, no matter what is happening in my love life, no, even if I need to ask a friend to loan me some money to tide me over till month end or whatever the case is, I still do that with the level of respect. And I still expect, even if they're saying no, they, they can't right now, that it's also done with a level of respect. So my friends and I, we maintain each other's dignity because you know life can happen. And so once you, once you understand that inherently, inherently, your decisions will change. You won't be making short-term self-destructive decisions simply because you're going through a period in your life where your bank balance or the home you're living in or the quality of food you're eating or the school the kids are going to isn't what you're used to. And so you start thinking, oh, maybe I'm not valuable or not as special as I thought I was or not as talented as I thought I was. You need to let go of those um, self-destructive and um, very... Yeah, self-destructive beliefs, you're actually going to end up doing more damage to yourself by entertaining those. So regardless of what's happening with your pocket, you are inherently valuable and you treat yourself as such every day, every moment, every hour, and you'll actually see how your external external environment starts to respond and change and meets you at the level at which you think of yourself and at the level of which you are deserving. Um, I've been preaching, so I don't know if I'm on three or four, but anyway, let's do two more. (laughs) Number four, the ring-fenced woman isn't afraid to ask for what she wants. You know, again, referencing the Bible, it says, ask and it shall be given to you. We know people will say, shout if you need help, ask if you need help. And you sit there silently suffering, thinking, oh no, I could never. That is actually pride. And that is actually a a, a, a sign that you don't deem yourself worthy of accepting or receiving help for nothing in return. We have been raised and have grown up in a world of reciprocity where you don't take without giving something in return. Well, guess what? I'm here to tell you that because you are inherently valuable, because you are intentional about your day, and because life sometimes happens 
happens. Not everything we do is within our control. You need to accept that there'll be times where you need to let someone else be strong. There'll be times where you say, I need help. And asking for help is not actually a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Strength to know that even in those times where I cannot do it myself, it doesn't mean I'm not valuable. It doesn't mean I'm not special. It doesn't mean that I have failed. Oh no, it just means that I acknowledge and have the strength and sense of self-worth to say, here I need help and here I will accept help without me making it feel some type of way or that I've failed in life or I'm not good enough. And then finally, I would say the last habit of the ring-fenced woman is actually just um, being able to think of other people and being able to extend help where she is needed as well. A lot of people say that, um, you know, in those times of despair, nothing uh, fills you up and fuels you up like trying to help someone else. Remember, and that also actually reminds you that you are still valuable. So in those days when you are feeling like I can't get out of bed, um, I need help, I, um, I'm feeling so low and so depressed, I would say pick up the phone and speak life and positivity into someone else. Just as you are lying there in bed needing that, you don't know who else is needing that. So a lot of my friends have said to me, Samke, how did you know I needed that call? Samke, you don't know how speaking to you enthuses me. And that'll actually be moments when I'm feeling at my lowest and I'm thinking, oh, I just need to talk to a friend. And I end up preaching as I am now, end up speaking positivity into them. And what they, we then create that circle of, and that virtuous circle of that positive energy, which then speaks back into me and reminds me that actually, even at my lowest, I'm still valuable. I still have something to contribute and give to this world. And so I would say that those habits, they are free of charge. They're all psychological, but I promise you the impact that they have on your external environment and then by default on your finances and your financial well-being are unbelievable, are boundless, are limitless. And they remind you that actually your, your well-being is always, always in your hands and you always have the control. That is so beautiful. Oh my gosh. Awesome. That was so good. I'm going to want to re-listen to that over and over again. So awesome. Okay. So, so tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and how they can get their hands on your book. So on social media, you can find me on Instagram at I am Samke Mshongo. I actually just changed my handle a couple of days ago because for a while, I actually didn't accept myself with all my flaws. It was It's nice when everyone is celebrating you at your highs, but we tend to hide the flaws. And so I'm on this journey where I want to show up as my full self. So you are actually hearing this handle for the very first time publicly at I am Samkem Shongo, which is my name and my surname. Same for Twitter, same for my Facebook page. And you can get the book on Amazon. It's Ring Fence, one word, R-I-N-G-F-E-E. F-E-N-C-E. And um, yeah, I also have links on my Instagram bio to where you can get my book and also leave me a review. And also DM me if you want to DM me just to say, you know, I'm going through so much and I just need to just tell me something that will pick me up. Feel free to do that. I've had those days and I know that the journey of divorce and rebuilding and starting over, regardless of whether that's from a failed marriage, a failed relationship, a failed business, I know that it can be very low. And so at this point in time, we're all just trying to help each other up um, as the world goes goes through this major transition. So even if you just want to DM me to say, hey, I need a friend, you're very welcome to. Amazing. Some K, this is awesome. You are going places and I cannot wait to get my hands on your book. I actually have a copy 
copy for you. So I you ordered did. a copy from Amazon Print on Demand. Yes, I wanted to sign it for you as my sign of gratitude and just to thank you and honor you for this platform that is transforming lives around the world. I want to send you that signed copy of my book. So after this, please do let me know where I can send it. And yes, I have a signed copy for you, Meg. Thank you, Tom K. I'm so excited. So excited. Okay. Well, I can't imagine where you're going to be in six months, a year from now. So we'll have to do this again. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. That's a promise. Yes, for sure. For sure. Well, this was awesome. Thank you. We will do this again soon. If you thought today rocked, subscribe to the Meg Rock Show podcast, leave a review and let me know what your takeaway was. All of my social is linked in the show notes. Screenshot this episode and tag me on Instagram at TheMegRock. For more info on me and to take my quiz to find out what energy blocks you have in your life and in your home, and maybe even coaching, go to ManifestingMarge.com. Repeat after me, I am a powerful, loving, radiant, abundant, badass warrior goddess. I am here to rock out this lifetime. It doesn't serve me or the world to play small. I am worthy of all that I desire. See you in the next episode. The Meg Rock Show podcast and all content created by Manifesting Marge LLC is created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you may have for a medical condition or concern. Meg Schwarzrock is not a doctor or a therapist.